Welcome to the Trinity Forum Conversations podcast. You've likely noticed that information has become more and more accessible, and the tools for communicating with one another continue to expand. And yet we face a paradox. Community has become harder and harder to maintain, and the truth seems increasingly elusive. In this series, we'll focus on navigating the challenges of modernity. Our guests will give us insight on the nature of truth, the challenges of technology, and how to approach our common life. We'll talk with leading thinkers, including Jonathan Haidt, Peter Kreeft, Arthur Brooks, Francis Collins, and many others. In this episode, Cherie Harder talks with Bishop Claude Alexander and Dr. Matt Peer about their book, Required, God's Call to Justice, Mercy, and Humility to Overcome Racial Division. They'll discuss how Christians can contribute to healing racial divides in both the church and society. It's really important for those of us that have had opportunities to really think about what is our role in making things right uh, in that regard and, and God's commitment to that. And just as God met our need for justice on the cross, he invites us to meet the need for justice in community with one another. This episode is an edited version of our online conversation from November of 2021. You can find the full video of that conversation along with our full catalog of event videos on our website, ttf.org. And check out the show notes on this episode for links to further resources. Here's Cherie Harder. The topic that we are engaging today is one that we've heard from many of you that you'd really like to delve into. Yet it's one that's also subject to significant differences, both of opinion, but also of perception. For example, just earlier this year, a Gallup poll found that over 70% of Americans are both worried about and deeply dissatisfied with the racial tensions and divisions in the country. And yet when you broke down those numbers a little bit more, one found that around a third of white Americans considered a race to be a significant problem in the country, compared to around three quarters of African Americans and nearly 60% of Latinos. Within the church itself, the differences were even more stark, with a smaller number of white Christians thinking race was a significant problem, but higher numbers of Black Christians and Latino Christians. So given those differences, both of perception as well as the many differences of opinion that are embedded in it, how do we understand and live out the biblical mandate to love our neighbor? How do we seek justice and flourishing or shalom for all in the midst of inflamed racial tensions and deepening tribal divides? And at a time when our technologies enable us to ever more selectively tailor our interactions to those who look, act, and think like us, how do we learn to know and love our neighbor across difference? And finally, how can we, in our various spheres and stations, help heal divides, overcome injustice, and create new places of mercy and flourishing? These are obviously deep and thorny questions. And to help us wrestle with them, we are so pleased to welcome two guests who are themselves wise and experienced wrestlers in just such this area, having dedicated much of their lives and their vocations to the task, Bishop Claude Alexander and Dr. Mac Peer. Bishop Claude Alexander has served as the senior pastor of the Park Church in Charlotte, North Carolina for more than three decades, where it's grown from one small local or, uh, congregation of around 600 members to a global ministry of thousands with three locations and a weekly international reach. 
Claude is also the past president of the Hampton University Minister Conference, the oldest and largest interdenominational gathering of African-American clergy in the country, the author of the book, Necessary Christianity, the chairman of the board of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, as well as serving as a trustee on the board of many worthy organizations, including Charlotte City Partners, Christianity Today, Mission America Coalition, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I am quite proud to say, as of two months ago, the Trinity Forum. He'll be joined by Dr. Mac Peer. Mac is an author, theologian, and movement catalyst. He co-founded the Church Multiplication Alliance with Reverend Tim Keller, co-founded the Concerts of Prayer Movement, and served as the catalyst for cities, the Lausanne Conference. He also co-founded the New York City Leadership Center, which was then subsequently renamed movement.org, and is the author of many books, including A Disruptive Gospel, A Disruptive Generosity, A Disruptive God, and of course, his most recent work, Required, God's Call to Justice, Mercy, and Humility to Overcome Racial Division, which he co-authored with Bishop Claude Alexander, and which we've invited them both here today to discuss. Claude and Mac, welcome. Thank, Thank you, you, Cherie. Yeah, it's it's really good to have you both here. So I need to ask, you began uh, this book, Required, uh, by saying that overcoming racial divisions necessarily requires knowing ourselves, knowing each other, and knowing our stories. So I figured it was only appropriate to start off by asking you about your own stories and how those stories intersected to eventually wind up with you co-authoring this book together. And Claude, maybe we can start with you. Well, thank you. It, it's a delight to be here. In terms of my story, when I think about it, being born African-American in 1964, right? Growing up in Jackson, Mississippi during the period of desegregation, being raised by a family who brought their faith to bear in terms of the service that they rendered, particularly through medicine and civil rights. My father was, is John Perkins' physician. When John Perkins spoke about being beaten and bloodied in that jail, my dad was a physician who attended to him. And he helped desegregate the American Medical Association. So there was this family ethos in terms of community engagement, as well as faith. And then, then this call to Christ that, that I received and, and the call to the gospel and the call to the city and the, and the world. It was, that, it was that last call that put me in connection with Mac in Bangalore, India, and started a relationship that caused us to realize we're called to each other as well as being called to cities. And the call to each other drives us to this work. I grew up in uh, South Dakota. My family has owned a bank since the early 1900s. And we grew up 16 miles away from a Native American reservation. And the town closest to us, Wagner, South Dakota, when I was in high school, had 80% unemployment. It was the highest unemployment in the country. And my mother grew up in South Carolina in uh, the city of King Street in Williamsburg County, which was about two-thirds two African-American. So growing up, I had the opportunity to, to observe the dynamics both with Native Americans and African-Americans and noticing the interactions along, along, 
both uh, communities, I, I began to develop a, a mistrust just based on the, the people that I grew up with, the conversations that we had. And then in 1984, moved to New York City, was, was without a place to live. And the first family that, that brought us into their home was an African-American family. And that was very transformative to see people who look past, look past my skin color and really uh, invited us into their homes and their lives. And it's really been a 37 year journey living in New York City, uh, living in a neighborhood that speaks 100 languages, a church that speaks 60 languages, and really getting this sense that uh, God really has a passion for the, for the whole church to work together. Met uh, Claude in Bangalore, in India, and really has uh, been a transformational journey just to learn more about uh, not only his experience and journey, but the broader African-American experience in America and just the need to bring white communities, African-American communities together uh, to be the church together in the cities in which we live. That's great, fascinating. So it seems like in many ways, the central point of your book, and of course, feel free to jump in and clarify if this reader has misread it, but that the biblical injunction to do justice is something that is required of Christians. And an essential part of that injunction is to heal and bridge divides. And of course, within the church, as well as outside of it, terms like justice or social justice have become freighted with all sorts of meanings that certainly kind of complicate that appeal. So I'd love to hear from both of you, and maybe Mac, we can start with you, your conception of justice and why you believe it is required of Christians. It's a really important word. When you study the Old Testament, it's the word justice is listed 28 times. And even when you look at the great messianic prophecy of Isaiah 9, this idea of, of, of Messiah coming and bringing justice is at the forefront of what God's plan in the world is. And, and from my vantage point, justice uh, is making right that which is wrong. And when we look at our own national history, uh, one of the things that's been, that's, that's been very consequential for me is thinking about the historical entry point of Africans into America in 1619, and then civil rights not being approved until 1964. And you basically had 17 generations of inequity. And the historic weight of that is so significant and it manifests itself in so many ways that are, creates so many disadvantages. It's really important for those of us that have had opportunities to really think about what is our role in making things right uh, in that regard and in God's commitment to that. And just as God met our need for justice on the cross, he invites us to meet the need for justice in community with one another. You know, this, this notion of, of justice being the upholding of what is right, mm -hmm. the upholding of what is right, the provision of fairness, whether it's individual or institutional. And when we think of the Bible and its usage of the word justice, there is no adjective that is used in front of it. It is just justice, justice. And this call that, that God is making is the call towards the establishment, the, the upholding of what is right and fair both as it relates to individuals and institutions. And it cuts across all aspects of life. We tend to put adjectives, social, racial, 
environmental. But when God says justice, God means that in all aspects, right? And this call is to do it. It, 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 it's not, it's not to speak it, it's to be found doing justice. Just to follow up on that, Claude, of course, part of the, the challenge is not just doing justice, but discerning justice. Mm-hmm. And certainly throughout our history, people have had many different conceptions of what justice is. And you talk quite a bit in the book uh, using Micah 6.8 as a guide and essentially humility and mercy being guides in that. And would love to kind of ask you, we can start with you at least, kind of how that sort of teases out. You got, draw a connection between humility, mercy, awareness, and ownership. And would love to hear more about how those all relate in helping us to discern as well as do what is just. Sure. So when, when we talk about this notion of, of awareness, coming to a knowledge of that by necessity, when one comes to awareness, should produce humility. Right. So when 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 Isaiah comes to the awareness of God, the first thing he cries out is, woe is me. He he is he is humbled when Jeremiah, no, when Daniel comes to realize this notion of their existence in the exile being tied to the the wrongs of previous generations, he is. He is humbled, and with that awareness, he then moves to taking ownership. Mercy, which is the ability to enter into someone else's experience and feel what they feel, the woundedness, it prompts one to ownership. That's what happens with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan, seeing what he sees, is moved with compassion right? Another word for mercy. And what does he do? He takes ownership. He bandages the man's wounds, puts him on his donkey, and then takes him to an end. But with ownership and one saying, I've got to do something, then there is agency. And there are five aspects of agency, personal, who we are, practical, what we choose to do, positional, the positions that we occupy, political, how we choose to advocate, and pecuniary, how we spend our money, that moves to justice. Because when I am touched and am humbled, because I'm aware, and I've entered into that experience with the person and I take ownership, then I'm moved to exercise agency, which moves me towards the establishment of what is right and fair, and that is justice. Mac, you look like you had something to add there. Yeah, the one thing I would say, I think one of the, really, the, it, it may be the, one of the most important contributions of the book is Claude's chapter entitled A Necessary Conversation, in which Claude really outlines what it has meant to be an African-American in America. And I, what's really important in this journey is we talk about awareness is a deep conviction that that we can only love that which we know. And part of our commitment is to really help people from diverse ethnic backgrounds really gain an understanding of each other's journey. And this is really built around a model of friendship. 
And as we, we think about these challenges, particularly inside the church, we want to adopt this idea that people of faith, regardless of their ethnic background, are family, and that we want to engage in, in the hearts and minds of people that are part of the same family, even though they're very different, so that we can be the church together. Yeah, that's great. You, know, you, you mentioned love, Mac, and I'd like to ask you about the role of love in all of this, because of course, part of uh, tied up with our the mandate for justice is the is the mandate to love your neighbor, uh, love our neighbor. And you mentioned at one point in the book, and this sort of grabbed my attention. You said the most powerful thing this side of heaven is being radically loved by someone radically different. And I'd love to kind of hear more about what you mean by that, as well as kind of relatedly, how do we love well people who are quite different from us, knowing that there may be communication gaps as, you know, in the, in the relating? Yeah, the genesis of that, that realization was in our, our story of moving into New York when the Caesar family took us into their home. And that's really where we, we had that experience. And part of uh, my journey in New York, the faith community in New York is 90% either minority or international. And so really I was a, a minority as it were, but yet people embraced me, loved me unconditionally. And when we talk about loving people, the invitation really is to be present to people that are different from us, taking the initiative, showing great intention. Um, I think, I think the, the, the best antidote to the challenges that we face is simply showing up. And there, there's just no substitute to being in person with people that are different from us, really studying what their needs uh, are and how we can contribute and benefit as well. And that's, it's a really, it's a, it's a radically powerful thing when we become enveloped relationally and affectionately by people that are different from ourselves. You know, the other, the other part to that, Sheree, is, is the fact that all of us who claim to be Christian have experienced radical love by someone totally different than us being God. Yeah. And, and, and that experience of being radically loved by one who is wholly other mm. is, is a powerful, is a powerful thing. That notion of a, an intentional decision and act, right? The Caesars were intentional in what they demonstrated to Mac as God has been intentional in us. And so it starts with this notion of intention, of intention, and, and being able to, to demonstrate that intention in very, very practical, practical ways. You know, I imagine there's probably many people listening, thinking, you know, that, that really, that sounds so exciting, inspiring, appealing, but there's at the same time, a fear of misunderstanding. You know, one of the challenges of uh, bridging any division or even just caring for those who are different is, is the fear. And there's at times real reason for it of being misunderstood or having your actions misinterpreted, you know, or we might inadvertently blunder, you know, in our sincere efforts. And we're at a time when there's a lot of tension already and uh, social media can be both ruthless and hair trigger. So would be interested in what counsel both of you have, and we can maybe we can start with you, Mac, about 
those who might be interested in this work, uh, but are hesitant to enter what can seem like a minefield? Well, there, there will inevitably be conflict just because of the cultural differences. And, and I would say two things, uh, as I said earlier, just the importance of showing up. And if, if in a church or a city, there's a small group of people that really have this desire, and even something as simple as identifying uh, a Martin Luther King celebration coming up in a few weeks and visiting, visiting a church or a gathering uh, where they can just begin to meet people, that's a really uh, simple and practical next step. Many cities have various expressions of prayer movements, different kinds of conferences and events that bring diverse people together. Just taking the initiative and showing up if a person doesn't already have a place to get started. And the other thing that, that I've learned over the last 40 years working cross-culturally is that when conflict happens, and it will happen, conflict is a gift. Because on the other side of conflict, as it's worked through, there becomes a depth of understanding and empathy uh, that creates friendship. All three of my children have married internationally, Indian, Filipino, and Brazilian. And what I've noticed from their, these marriages, because they've required extra work, there's a specialness in the relationship because of the amount of work that is required. It's, it's almost magical. And, and to have those kinds of relationships, the relationship I've enjoyed with Claude and so many other friends coming out of New York have been very life-giving and, and meaningful. There is risk involved in any relationship. Yeah. Okay. And so one takes the risk believing that what's on the other side of it is worth it. Yeah. Right. And, and if I, if I believe that what can come from this is worth the risk, yeah. I'm willing to take it knowing that I have a risk of being re rejected or misunderstood. Yeah. I think the second, the, the second thing is this is where humility mm -hmm. comes in. Right, right. And, and the notion of seeking the good of the other, even when misunderstood. And, and I would just add, as, as I think about the, the dynamics of this, one of the things that I, I've really benefited from in a New York City context is, is understanding and studying the impact of the African-American church in New York. It's just absolutely magnificent tremendous leaders making enormous difference, really in many ways, the epicenter of the city. At the same time, uh, the value of walking through a, a neighborhood in South Dallas, being told by the African-American pastor that the percentage of children living in single parent homes is 97%. And recognizing that in the other side of the city that people have no idea of that reality. And so we, we really want to make the effort to come to know the, just the ways that God is powerfully using uh, churches of different ethnic backgrounds, but also re wrestling with the gravity of the need in our respect. And the, and the, and the need is across the, the racial landscape, uh, but really becoming a student, student of the places where we are citizens. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the church for, for just a second. And that, you know, as mentioned earlier, the perception gap uh, in terms of racial division is by some measures actually greater in the church in terms of just a difference in how it's perceived than even outside of it. Would be interested in why you think that is and why the church has not 
led more when it comes to over uh, overcoming racial divisions. Uh, but then relatedly, the church has divisions over this very subject. You know, there we have an entire denomination right now that is in that is fighting itself over uh, matters related to race. We have a lot of young people leaving the church entirely, and this is one reason. What is going on with the church and how the church can and should respond for greater coherence, but also to lead in the area of loving one's neighbor well? One of the things that's been really helpful talking with Claude is is understanding the difference between having a personal faith, which all of us do, but not limiting our personal faith to just being private. That, that we are in, in our discipleship, we are invited to give expression to our faith in public ways. Uh, sometimes it's a verbal witness, but otherwise, it, in other ways, it's also taking stands around issues, around issues of justice that really impact other people. And I really think that's the moment that we're being called into today, is that this is a real opportunity for African-American, white churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches, to work together city by city to really demonstrate the fact that when people of faith actually have more in common with one another than they do with their own ethnic group if people are outside faith. So we really want to demonstrate that, manifest that, and, and bring about pragmatic solutions into cities. That's great. Uh, I think the obvious question is what then can be done? And I want to ask that of both of you, and maybe we can start with you, Claude. You know, your book is very practical, and it does set out um, lots of concrete suggestions. But I also wanna pick up on something you just said, uh, Claude, a minute or, or so ago, uh, having to do with discipleship and formation in that when we're talking about loving, when we're talking about knowing others, uh, we're talking largely about what we attend to and how we prioritize our love. So I'd love to hear both your practical suggestions, but also your suggestions as it pertains to discipleship and formation in terms of thinking about, but also living out this wisely and well. Well, if when we're talking about our discipleship, it, it, it can go to, first of all, how we read the Bible. Just, just, just basic, you know, when, when you read the Bible, Genesis 1, and you see this creation, you see a very distinct difference. And that is when, when it talks about the creation of the animals and there's this each according to its own kind, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to human beings, it's in the image and likeness of God. And, and there's a crucial recognition that God is seeking to make when it comes to us, that, that each of us are connected to each other as image bearers. Not, not, not according to our own kind, no. That's mallards, that's igrets, that's storks, right? And they don't interact even though they're in the same pond. No, we're in the same pond as image bearers created to interact with each other. That's one, so from, from creation. The second thing is, again, our being called to Christ is also our being called to each other. And when I realize that I'm called to my brother and sister who may be racially or ethnically different, mm -hmm. that we're in the same family, then there is a responsibility that I have, an accountability that I have. 
an expectation from me and to me. So that's, 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 the, that's the second piece. I think the third piece is, is recognizing that we have agency, that we have the ability to influence just by who we are and what we choose to do. How different will our invitations to a Christmas party be? Right? Are we inclusive in, in that? Are we intentional in that? Practical steps. For me, uh, I would a couple of practical things. One is, is simply the value of reading the book because it gives language and historical understanding. And, and we found that having common language is really important in having conversation. Every movement uh, has what we call semantic currency. And in the book, there are some three really practical examples. One is Jack Alexander, who lives in Atlanta, successful businessman. He's been a mentor to a number of minority young people. He helps board chair a group called One Race, which is very powerful in Atlanta. Second is a story of a group of leaders in churches in Virginia working together. And they've accelerated 15 initiatives in what's called the 757. And the third is, a, is, is an early stage economic initiative, which is really about job creation, because so much of the disparity is economic. And we talk about the need to be civil, empathic, and pragmatic. So those are, are ways to, to kind of get started. And we are inviting people into conversations within their own city so that there can be a critical mass of people who can make practical steps together. That's great. Claude and Mac, this has been fascinating and really rich. Finally, look forward to hearing the last word from Mac and from Claude. My last word simply would be uh, an invitation to take this conversation to your city or your community. We've put on uh, Facebook what's called the Trinity Forum Required Challenge. And if that's something that's of interest to you, you can let us know. And uh, we, we've set up some conversation opportunities during the week of Martin Luther King holiday, January 17th. And we'd love to learn more about what's happening in your city and to uh, take advantage of the book at requiredbook.com. The thing that I, would, that I would raise is there are those who would devalue the power of conversation, of talking. And yet the Christian experience is that of our response to what is spoken. And so there is power in what you speak and the relationships that you develop that serve as the context for you to speak. So never underestimate that power. Claude, Mac, it has been a real uh, honor and pleasure to get to, to conversate with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode in our series on navigating the challenges of modernity. Be sure to subscribe to Trinity Forum Conversations podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're enjoying these, please leave us a review. Visit our website at ttf.org for more information and show notes from this episode, as well as resources such as our Trinity Forum readings and videos of our past events.